Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services, Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. Well, friends, it's good to see you. We welcome those that are watching online. We have been talking about who Jesus is. Who is the real Jesus? And what were the followers of Jesus like? Today in our culture, there's been a, a misunderstanding of the Jesus that's in the Bible and the followers that follow Jesus in the Bible. In some ways, our culture, even our country, has watered down Jesus. That was somehow we've kind of created our own version of, of who Jesus was and what Jesus did and what it means to follow him. And so we've been diving deep in what does the Bible have to say about who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what were the followers of Jesus like? So I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. Yes, you can make some noise. We are a word church. And as you're turning to John chapter 2, I got to tell you that the temple in the Old Testament was everything for a Jew. The temple was, it was the economic center of life. It was the political center of life. It was the religious center where, where everyone would gather together to, to talk, to fellowship. The temple had become a place where if you were running for office, you were going to the temple. If you were wanting to start a business, you would go to the temple. It had become this, this source of all kinds of business that was happening in the temple. But originally, the temple was supposed to be the place where divinity would connect with humanity, where heaven would invade earth. The temple was meant to be the dwelling place of the presence of God. In fact, in the book of Psalms, it says God, in, uh, he owns the entire earth, and yet he chooses to dwell among his people. That meant that he chose to dwell in Jerusalem, in the temple. That was his place. That was where he wanted to reestablish the Garden of Eden. But over time, the temple had been corrupted. It had been polluted. People had started doing stuff in there that wasn't really what God's intentions were for the temple. And so Jesus finishes this amazing miracle. He has a party with his disciples where he turns water into wine. The party was about to be over, but when Jesus turned water into wine, the party turned up and they got wild and they had a great time. It was awesome. And then he leaves that party and something happens. In John chapter 2, verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, and by the way, right now, this very week, we are so close to the Jewish Passover. As we're headed towards Easter, we would be right there in that time. So this passage is actually meant for this moment in the church calendar. This is what they call Lent, 40 days leading up to Resurrection Sunday. It's a preparation time. It's a looking in your heart time. It's a checking up. Is everything okay in my heart with God? So as it was Jewish Passover time, people were headed to Jerusalem. Jesus starts going towards Jerusalem. And when Jesus walks into the temple courts, he finds people selling cattle inside the temple. Imagine with me just for a moment, if you brought all your cows in here, is there any people that own cows, any cattle owners in the house today? Can you imagine if you brought your cows into the church service? I mean, this is what people were doing. They not only brought cows, they brought sheep. They brought doves. Just imagine birds flying around in here. If you brought all your dogs, all your kitty cats, all your lizards and hamsters, and we just made this place a zoo, that's what they had done 2,000 years ago. There was all these animals. Then there's people sitting at 
these tables. And they're doing business. They're like negotiating. They're bargaining. Because if you brought coins with Caesar's face on it, you couldn't use it in the temple. They actually had their own temple money. So they would exchange. They would give you a, and the exchange rates were crazy. So if you brought in, you know, some coins and, and it, because it was Passover, everyone had to make a sacrifice. So people are bargaining for their sacrifice. How much do I have to pay to sacrifice for my sins? Because that's how they did it back then. And so, you know, they're standing there and they're exchanging money and, and the religious people are just hiking up the rates. And so they're making money off the people. It was corrupt. It was polluted. Jesus looks around. And most of us imagine Jesus, like on the movies, the Swedish Jesus with blonde, flowing hair, blue eyes, holding a lamb, just looking at everybody. Not in this moment. <laughs> Jesus was not happy about the lambs in the temple in this moment. In fact, the Bible actually says that he grabs ropes off the ground and he starts braiding these ropes into a whip. Watch me whip. Watch me. <laughs> Jesus was not having a dance party, though. Like, this was not watch me whip, watch me nay-nay. This was like, watch me wreak havoc on the mess that you've made in my temple. Jesus was not happy about this. This was righteous anger. There's certain times in Scripture where God gets angry, and it's not like our anger where we're mad at someone because they hurt our feelings. It's like he's angry because he knows the purpose and the calling on our lives, and there's this righteous anger where Jesus starts braiding this whip, and it actually says he starts sweeping the temple. In fact, he goes up to the tables, and he... He throws everything over and he says, not in my house. Y'all are like, whoa, this is not the Jesus I heard about in scripture. Mary had a little lamb. What happened to that, Jesus? I brought a guest today. You're scaring him. <laughs> you know what's interesting is this passage, this story, listen to this. It's recorded in all four gospels. There's very few stories that are actually in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's some stories that appear in Matthew that don't appear in John. Some that appear in Mark that don't appear in Luke. This one appears in all four. Which means that these authors, these followers of Jesus, they distinctly remember that at the start of Jesus' ministry, this wasn't after three years of feeding people and multiplying loaves and fishes. This was at the very beginning. This was right after the first miracle. Right after he turns water into wine, he goes into the temple and he says, stop this. Stop this. You've polluted my father's house. And the people were mad. I mean, you would be mad too if I came in and pushed your doggy out of here. Right? Don't touch my dog. But people had brought all their stuff in there, animals, money, and they had... They had allowed idols into the temple of God. And so Jesus starts driving it out. I just imagine him turning over tables. That's what it says. It says he turned over tables. And his disciples remembered. They remembered this passage from the Old Testament. Zeal for your house consumes me. Love for your house. Passion. Jesus was zealous and he was jealous. Jesus was jealous. He was jealous for the hearts of man because he knew that all the idols that they had brought into the temple would never satisfy them. 
that what they had done with money and animals and bargaining for sacrifices and creating some soft version of following God, that this was not God's will. There was this jealousy to say, let me satisfy you because what you're doing is not working. And it's religious and it's all based on man's traditions and it's polluted and it's corrupting you. Now, they get mad. And, and so the religious people, not just like the leaders, but the, the church members, the temple members. And I know some of y'all are like, temple, what is temple? Temple in the Old Testament and the New Testament would be the same thing we call our church building today. So this was their church. This was a church service. Imagine singing, how great is our God, and cattle are just walking in front of you. Boo! Sing with me, how great. And there's just chickens. Bok, 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 bok. Is our God. Sheep coming. Bah! And then there's people on the side having negotiations, switching money up, switching money up. We're singing songs. Imagine while I'm preaching that you're, everyone's on their phones and they're cash apping each other and they're making deals and they're watching March Madness and they're not listening to the message. Jesus hated it. He said, there's too many distractions in my temple. There's too many distractions. Why are you coming into the temple if you don't actually care about the presence of God encountering your life? These people had traded in traditions for a relationship with God. They had traded in this checklist. Well, I went to the temple this week, but there was no transformation. There was no intimacy. And he's turning over the tables and they say, who gave you the authority to do this? That's what they asked in verse 18. Who gave you the authority to come into this temple and, and make a mess of our mess? <laughs> and Jesus answered them. He says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. They go, what? It took us 46 years to build this church sanctuary. 46 years, and you're gonna come in here, knock it down, and rebuild it in three days? I don't think so. But they didn't know what temple he was talking about. See, Jesus was flipping the tables in the temple, but he was also flipping the definition of the temple. He was changing their perception that the temple's not a building, the temple is so much more. So fast forward with me just a little bit. And, and go about 15 years later, after this, 15 years from this, there's this guy who has an encounter with Jesus. And he's grown up in the temple. He has all the studies of the temple. He's intellectual. He grew up steeped in temple traditions. He actually was thinking he was doing God a service by killing people uh, that, 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 that claimed they knew something better than God in the temple. His name was Saul. But he falls off his high horse, and God changes his name to Paul. And now Paul has a revelation of Jesus, has a revelation that Jesus Christ is it, that Jesus was the temple that they were always looking for. Now, Paul is writing to this church called Corinth, and Corinth has gotten into some corruption. There's been some immorality. People have kind of been riding the fence, like, I'm following God on Sunday, but I'm doing my own stuff Monday through Saturday, and I don't really want you to mess with that. So Paul has something to say to the Corinthians, and he's trying to figure out, how do I tell them that their life is not their own? How do I tell them that their body is important? How do I tell them that their mind, their heart, their attitude, their relationships, their marriage is actually very important? And so he says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus' body was the temple, and I believe in Jesus, and Jesus didn't just come to live with me, he came to live in me, all of a sudden now my body is the temple. Turn to the person next to you and say, your body is the temple. And now I want you to say it over yourself, my body is the temple. We have an incredible security team here at Victory that are constantly uh, keeping watch over us and over this house. How many are thankful for security, right? In this day and age, we need it, right? And uh, one thing I took for granted here recently is, is that they know me. And so I have this relationship. And so they never question, like if I come in here with a bunch of suitcases or bags, they're not worried about me because I'm the pastor of the church. They're not gonna ask me to open up my bags. Well, recently I was invited to go to a conference at another church. And it was a one day, it was out of state, going to Pastor Stephen Furtick's church. And, and I was headed there with another friend, yeah. And uh, by the way, Pastor Stephen Furtick preached for us last year at our conference. He's preaching again this year at the Victory Conference. So I'm excited for that. So Pastor Stephen invites me to come just to be with him. And it was me and another pastor in town. And so we show up to his church. Since it was just a one-day conference, I packed everything in my backpack. Y'all see where this is going. And um, so I had, you know, my backpack looked pretty big. So I, you know, I walk in. My, my other pastor friend from Tulsa, Mike Todd, he was walking with me. And, and some people recognized him. They're like, Mike, we love you. They're like, who are you? Are you his security? Are you his armor bearer? I was like, yeah, I'm a nobody. I'm just, I'm Mike's kid's pastor. And, you know, I was like, humble me, Lord. This is good. And uh, so we're walking in, and Pastor Stephen wanted us to sit right beside him. So we walked through the balcony back there, and we're walking down the steps towards the front row. And I was like, man, I, I'm all good. I don't mind sitting in the back, but since you want us to sit in the front. So we're walking towards the front row and Pastor Stephen's secretary has, you know, met us. She's leading us towards the front row. I'm just a few feet away from Pastor Stephen when all of a sudden this hand grabs my shoulder, spins me around and there's this six foot four dude. And he goes, you come with me now. And I was like, uh, but, but I'm, I'm with Pastor Stephen. He goes, don't you touch Pastor Stephen. And Pastor Stephen was looking at the stage because the worship had already started. So I'm like a few feet away and security guards like grabbing me. And I was like, I promise I'm not a terrorist. You know, and he grabs me. He pulls me out. He goes up the stairs. So I walk up the stairs, you know, up. He goes out in the hallway. So bring me out in the hallway. And he goes, open up your backpack. <laughs> Now, I had only brought one day of clothing. Y'all don't want to know it was in my backpack, but he goes, I want you to pull everything out. I was like, yes, sir. So, you know, I bend down and unzip my backpack, and um, I start pulling out my shoes, my extra pair of jeans, my laptop, and all of a sudden, Pastor Stephen's secretary runs up, stands between me and the security guard. She goes, no, 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 no. I'm so sorry, Pastor Paul. She goes, you don't understand. He's Pastor Stephen's friend. He's here on special request. He's sitting with Pastor Stephen. He's a pastor of a great church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Shout out to Victory Church, best church in the world. Come on, somebody. I'm just saying, but I think so. And... Um, you guys are amazing. So she's trying to defend me to the security guard. He goes, I'm not having it. He goes, I still want to see what's in the back. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> he wanted me to open up all the pockets. This was a good security guard, right? So he's doing his job. So I, I show him and I go, hey, I just want you to know I respect you. And she finally tells him, she's like, Stephen is telling you now to stop interrogating Pastor Paul. So the security guard was like, well, if my pastor says so, I'll back up, you know? So he backs up and... Um, <laughs> And, uh, 
And it was all good. And I just told him, I said, you know what? You were doing your job. I'm thankful. You were protecting the pulpit. You were protecting the people. You were protecting the house of God. You were, you were very intense about what's coming into the house. And we need that kind of intensity. We need that high alert awareness of what's coming into the temple. But for the next few hours, I was interrogated another three more times. <laughs> Literally. There was multiple security guards and they didn't tell each other that they had already stopped me and interrogated me. So I got interrogated. I got to know his entire security team. And I love you, Elevation Security. We are friends now. We bonded. You interrogated me nicely. <laughs> Everybody say high alert. They were on high alert. Here's why. Because some guy in the last two weeks had rushed the stage during Pastor Stephen's message and literally tried to get up on the stage and ask Stephen questions while he was preaching. And, and, and instead of taking him out of the room, they just sat him on the front row. <laughs> and then he did it again. And finally, they had to remove the, 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 the moment of distraction. Why? Because they're protecting the atmosphere. They're protecting the word of God. They're protecting the presence of God. They don't want anything that's going to hinder what God wants to do in people's lives. This is what Jesus did. He was kind of a bouncer. Jesus the bouncer. He goes into the temple. He says, no, no, you have totally corrupted. All of you guys are making a mess of what my father intended this house to be. Right? Jesus was intense. He was a bouncer. He was cleaning house. And Paul says, the same way that Jesus said his body is the temple, your body is the temple. And the same way that Jesus went into the temple in Jerusalem, he wants to go into the temple of your life. And he wants to find anything that's been piling up that's not of him. And he wants to clean you. And he wants to cleanse you. And he wants to purify you. What would it look like for Jesus to turn some tables over in your heart right now? What would it look like for Jesus the bouncer to come into your life and say, you know what, that attitude you carry towards your spouse, that attitude you carry towards your workplace, the way that you treat people, that rudeness, that religiosity, that hypocrisy, that corruption, that constant wanting to bargain with God's will and not really being fully submitted, that needs to be cleaned out. This last week, spring equinox happened, and it was exciting because the sun is out, the winter is over, and it's springtime. How many are thankful for springtime? So springtime for me and for my wife and our kids meant spring cleaning. So we were pulling stuff out that we hadn't pulled out in a while, right? We were looking in the garage. We were pulling up boxes, noticing, in fact, in the backyard, we found a lizard underneath one of the boxes that had been sitting out there. I mean, there was all kinds of critters that had been setting up camp underneath the stuff. And spring cleaning is looking at things, uh, pulling up things, sweeping out things, removing things that are no longer necessary. And I think Jesus wants to do this in our hearts today. So I want us to look at four tables Four tables that maybe Jesus wants to turn over in your heart today. The first table is the table of idolatry. Now, you might be listening to this and go, I don't have any idols, so this one doesn't really apply to me. I'll listen for a friend, right? So I can pass it along to a friend who has idolatry in their life. But me, I'm good. <laughs> no idols. The funny thing about idols is you don't know you have an idol until it's taken away from you. You don't know what an idol is until you're threatened to lose it. So imagine if your employer called you today and said, we're no longer going to keep you on staff. You're no longer needed. Go ahead and clean out your desk. You can head out. Some of you in this room, it'd be fine. You go, you know what? It's all good. God's going to take care of me. My trust is not in my employer. My trust is in God. He's going to open up doors for another job. But some of us in this room, it would be an idol. 
I mean, our life would collapse. We'd go, what? What? <laughs> I've worked so hard for this company. I've given everything and they treat me like this. See, idolatry is not usually seen until it's taken away from you. We've made idols out of our jobs. Or maybe your idol is money. I mean, in the temple when Jesus came in, these guys were bargaining for their sacrifices. How little do I have to give to God? Because I don't want to give him everything. And so let's just bargain for our sacrifices. An idol is anything that drives your decisions, anything that drives your feet, anything that takes up space in your worries and your thoughts, anything that makes you stressed on a regular basis is possibly an idol in your life. Does God move your feet or does your job move your feet? Some people go, well, I've got I've to go where the money is. So it's not really here in Tulsa anymore. I've got to go to Phoenix because that's where, the, that's where the job's at. I'm going where the job moves me. My job moves me. My job moves my family. My job moves my feet. My job moves my heart. My job controls my life. Is God the Lord of your life or is job the Lord of your life? Is God the Lord of your life or is money the Lord of your life? Is pleasure, for some of us, it's Netflix, Netflix, entertainment, movies, right? Or it's celebrities. It's, we've studied celebrities. We know more about celebrities than we do about Jesus. It's social media for some of us. It's an idol. It takes up so much time and energy and space and thought, and it stirs us and it drives us and it causes us to get angry and jealous and disappointed and insecure. Whatever is an idol, it could be a good thing that maybe you've made a God thing. And God says, I'm not against you having things, but I am against things having you. I'm not against you having social media, but I am against social media controlling your happiness. And so maybe we need to delete those apps for a month. I, I, I'm not against you having money, but I am against money controlling every single decision you make. So maybe we just need to pause for a moment and make a sacrificial gift with your money, just to break the slavery that, that it has over your life. What's an idol? Michael Jordan wrote this book called Driven From Within, and, and he talks about, he goes over to his friend Fred Whitaker's house, and Fred Whitaker is an owner of another NBA team, and he, 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 uh, it got cold while he was at Fred's house, and they were going to go out to eat. He said, Fred, can I borrow a jacket? Fred says, sure, just go to my closet, pick out a jacket. So Michael goes down to the closet, he opens it up, and half of the closet is Nike, which is Jordan's brand, right? Michael Jordan is like the face of Nike, and the other half of the closet was Puma. And Jordan was like, uh-uh. He got angry. <laughs> In his book, he talks about pulling all the Puma shirts, the Puma shoes, the Puma hats, all the Puma gear, the Puma pants. He pulls them out. He throws them in the living room in front of Fred Whitaker. He goes into Fred's kitchen, grabs a butcher knife, and starts stabbing the shirts, ripping through the jackets, stabbing the hats. And Fred is like, you've lost your mind. You're insane, Michael. And Michael looks at him. He goes, call my agent tomorrow, and he'll give you all the Nike gear you need, but don't ever let me catch you wearing anything other than Nike. You can't ride the fence, bro. You can't ride the fence. <laughs> I was like, what? This is crazy. MJ was wild. He was wildly loyal to what he had committed to. I wish that the Christians in the world today would have the same commitment to Christ. Like, I just wonder if Jesus was to come in the temple and find you holding on to just one table. 
And you say, listen, God, you can have 90% of my temple, but don't take this. This is just a side. We'll just call it the secret stash. We'll keep it over here, right? Just let me hold on to this. You're cool with 90% of my heart, right? You're cool with just a part of me. You don't really want all of me. You're not asking me to sacrifice this sin. You're not asking me to sacrifice this habit. You're not asking me to give up this bitterness, this anger, this idol. And Jesus says, you want me to do what I did in the temple? Because I can. And here's the point. Jesus knows he can satisfy you more than any other idol can. There's not another religion like Christianity. What separates Christianity from Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, all the other religions, is that we serve a God who's in hot pursuit of our hearts. We serve a God who's in hot pursuit of our hearts. Deuteronomy says that he is a jealous God, an all-consuming fire. Exodus chapter 20, the very first commandment he gives Moses is, I will have no other gods before me. The second commandment is just like it. Do not make any images, any false gods. Don't make any idols. And the ironic thing is while God's telling Moses this, at the bottom of the mountain, the people's impatience Because they didn't know if Moses was coming back from his encounter with God. What did they do? They started making idols. There was this woman that got saved in a church in Texas. And and she felt so dirty. Her husband was running from the FBI. And so she comes down to the altar. And she says, I'm so dirty. And the pastor said, Jesus is going to touch you. He said, I'm the, she, she said this to the pastor. She said, I'm the dirtiest he's ever touched. And the pastor said, yeah, but he's the best you've ever had. And grace showed up and changed this woman's life. She was a Buddhist. So she goes back home and weeks go by and she starts realizing she has all these Buddha idols in her house that she had collected over time. She had bought at different places and traveling and she really liked just the the look of all the Buddhas. So she had Buddhas in her house, Buddhas in her backyard, her front yard. She calls up her pastor and she says, listen, I got all these Buddhas. She calls up her connect group. She says, I got all these Buddhas and I think I need to get rid of them. So let's have a Buddha bash. And so they all brought their baseball bats over and they just bashed Buddhas in the backyard. I mean, they had like a Buddha bashing party. Some of us today need to have some Buddha bashing and get rid of some idols that have been stinking up our temple, stinking up your marriage, stinking up your house. You go, hold up. I don't know if I really want that kind of a Jesus. That's the only Jesus there is. Everything else is a counterfeit. Every, every other version of Christianity that's not radical is counterfeit. It's counterfeit. You're not really following Jesus if you're not following the Jesus that's in the scriptures. I don't know what you're following, but the Jesus in the scriptures wants your heart. In the New Testament, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second table that maybe Jesus wants to turn over is the table of hurt. Hurt, maybe hurt has set up shop in your temple. Maybe from what someone said or someone did or, or they didn't treat you right or they didn't handle you right or they discriminated against you and, and that hurt has been building up. And here's what happens when hurt doesn't get cleansed out of the temple, it turns into hate. And the ultimate act of hate is murder. So think about this guy in the Bible named Cain. Cain gets hurt because God's looking at his brother Abel's sacrifice and saying, man, Abel is shining and Cain's sacrifice wasn't that much. So Cain's hurt towards God and towards his brother Abel leads him to this place of hate and he doesn't cleanse. He doesn't let God flip the table. Instead, he lets the table take up shop 
to the point where Cain kills his brother Abel. You say, well, that's an extreme case. So here's another one. There was a king named Saul, the first king in Israel, the king that God chose. Over time, though, Saul's heart kind of drifted from God. God sent Samuel the prophet to tell Saul, hey, Saul, your family's not going to be leading Israel. You're the end. Your son Jonathan's not going to get to take it. God's choosing another person, a man after his own heart. He was choosing David. Instead of Saul letting God flip the table of hurt and rejection and feeling like this is not what I wanted, but I'm going to choose to make the most of it. Instead of allowing God to flip the table, he let it stay. And the table of hurt turned to the table of hate. And the table of hate caused him to get jealous and threatened by every single thing David did. So his final 20 years as king was spent chasing a teenager. And he self-destructed. If you don't turn the table of hurt in your life, Hurt's going to turn you. Hurt's going hurt's to make you self-destruct. Sometimes hurt doesn't just come from what people do. Sometimes hurt comes from desires that are unmet. Proverbs says that uh, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So my dreams, my hopes, my wishes, when they're not met, it can hurt my heart. I thought I would be there by now. I thought I would be on that stage by now. Why, why haven't I seen the breakthrough? I thought... I thought we'd be married by now. I thought we'd have kids by now. I thought, our, I, thought, I thought I'd have a college scholarship. I thought, I didn't think I'd still be in this job by now. Why am I still in this place? And hurt builds up when, when our life turns out a way that maybe we didn't hope. And that table can set up in the temple and wreak havoc on your heart. The, the company didn't promote you. They promoted your best friend, but they didn't promote you. And that table of hurt, God's just wanting to come in saying, can I, can I remove that? Can we get that out of the temple? Because it's not helping you. It's not helping you. Let me just come and do a spring cleaning in your heart. The third table I want to look at is the table of pride. The table of pride. Pride's so easy to spot in other people and so hard to spot in ourselves. We're so good at calling pride out in other people. Like, he is so cocky. Man, he's such a prideful person. What an arrogant little... She's so haughty. She's so prideful. You're really good at calling it out in other people. When's the last time you looked in the mirror and said, God, maybe there's some pride in me. Maybe I have such a hard time celebrating others because I have such a pride inside my heart to be noticed, to be known, to be affirmed, to get things from people and they're not treating me right and they don't notice me and they don't give me credit and I and me and my and me and my the more you say I me and my that's a good test of how much pride is in your heart so there was this guy in the Bible named John the Baptist and people were trying to stir up his ego they, they come to him and they say listen all your followers are leaving you and they're going to Jesus and he's baptizing more people than you are and his flock is growing bigger than yours. And I love what John does. John flips the table of pride in his own heart. Instead of waiting till he hits rock bottom, he just does it right there. He says, oh, you don't understand. He must become greater and I must become less. In John chapter three, verse 30, he says, he must increase. I must decrease. Everybody say, turn the table. Turn the table of pride. Whatever's trying to hurt your ego, whatever's trying to mess with your pride, whatever's making you mad, what if you flipped the table before Jesus had to? What if you said, you know what? It's not about me. I remember when I was a college student at ORU, Oral Roberts University, and I was working as a janitor on campus, and 
and I was cleaning up people's nachos and I was pulling gum off of seats in the baseball stadium and I'd be there late at night and I was frustrated. And I remember during that season, I had tried out for the worship team at ORU and I didn't make it. And the only opportunity I had was helping uh, assist in our college ministry worship and also helping lead worship for our 9 a.m. children's church. And um, during that time, God started birthing this song in me when I was in the baseball stadium. I must decrease, you must increase. Lord, I want more of you. I must decrease, you must increase. Lord, I want more of you. Cleaning up nachos. <sighs> God, this is not what I had in mind. I was working for other people, helping their visions come to pass, and, and they forgot to give me credit. I would get upset because I'd be like, I made that video. I worked on that graphic. Mention my name from stage. And Jesus was like, you got to crucify your need for credit. You got to crucify your need for credit so that you can be resurrected into the place. See, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves, how low can you go? The lower you go, the higher he can take you. Elevation, promotion comes from humbling yourself. Humiliation is the pathway towards elevation. That's so good right there. I didn't even come up with that. That was God just now. Humiliation, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you're going through a humbling season, it is the pathway towards your promotion. But you've got to embrace it. You've got to say, Lord, remove, flip the tables of pride. I don't need to get the credit. So I wrote this song, I Must Decrease. ORU hears it. I submitted it when they were making an album. They said, we want to use your song, but we don't want to use you. <laughs> I was like, okay, why not? They said, because there's another guy that can sing it better than you. I was like, thanks, God. This is really, this is really cool. I love this season. It's the best season ever. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and pick people's trash up. And, uh, and so I remember they recorded the song, live album recording, Daryl Evans and Carrie Job. they're all singing up there. And, uh, and the guy gets up to sing my song. He's a friend of mine now, Brad. He sings the song. I'm standing in the back of the choir and I am so mad. Cause I'm like, I'm supposed to be at the front. And, uh, and then there was no credit. Like, there was no credit. And I was like, why is there no credit? And God's like, listen to the darn song. The title of the song is I Must Decrease. The irony in the moment is that I wanted to increase and we're singing my song, I Must Decrease. <laughs> God was like, let me cleanse your temple. Let me knock over the tables of pride. Let me knock over the tables of needed credibility, needed uh, uh, affirmation. Let me push those tables over. You don't need it. Let me humble you so that I can promote you. So my senior year of ORU, uh, there was this moment where this guy comes up to me and my dad was the interim president at ORU for a short season. And uh, this guy comes up to me, he goes, are you the son of our president? I said, yeah. And he goes, you're Billy Joseph. And I said, yeah. And this is my senior year. He goes, man, he goes, is this your freshman year? I knew this dude. I had seen his face. I go, no, dude. I've been here for four years. He goes, you have? I've never seen you. I was like, I was picking up your nachos, bro. Serving you burritos at the student festival. Like, I've been working behind the scenes. But it was just God reminding me, like, 
Sometimes God takes us through seasons of making us invisible because he's getting ready to promote us. But he has to see us. How we handle the invisible seasons determines whether he can promote us to the visible seasons. How do you handle those seasons where you're not getting the credit? You're not getting what you deserve. It's just time. God's just flipping tables of pride. The last table he wants to flip is the table of an overcrowded life. I was gonna take this sermon a different direction. I had a different table I wanted to work on, but I heard Jesus say, you gotta talk to Victory about this. So this week as I was preparing, as I was preaching uh, uh, to myself, and I was you know, just listening to what God was saying, he said, I want you to deal with the table of an overcrowded life. What if the temple that Jesus came to cleanse wasn't just getting rid of sin, wasn't just getting rid of lust and addictions and bad habits and secret stashes and idols. What if some of the stuff he was getting out of the temple was actually good stuff, but it had just piled up and he was trying to make room for some new stuff. So what if he's going through the temple and people are going, but, but this is good. We've held on to this for so long. These traditions, you don't understand. It took us 46 years to build our sanctuary. You don't know. We've done so much and this is how it's always been and this is the way it's always looked like. And Jesus goes, hold on. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I got something new. Your, your life is so overcrowded with stuff. You're so busy doing everything you've always done. Recently, my friend Daniel Henshaw, he asked me, Paul, what's... What's God stirring in your heart for the future? What's your dream for the future? And I had to be honest. I said, you know, uh, I'm just trying to take care of my two-year-old, my four-year-old, and come up with a sermon for this Sunday. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't have time to dream about the future, man. I'm just trying to survive. Survival is success sometimes, right? And he said, and he said, well, maybe God wants to stir some new dreams up in your heart. And I'm so glad he said that as my best friend. And what's so funny is my mentor said the same thing. He said, Paul, there's no empty files available for new things that God wants to do because you're so overcrowded right now. There's, you got so much stuff going on. Our country is just so addicted to busy. It's like we just want to take on more jobs and more stuff. And, and, and some of it we don't even have to do. Some of it is just we just we love being busy. We love having zero space in our calendar. I just gotta be so busy. I wanna, the more busier I am, the more successful I am. Busy doesn't equal success. What if Jesus wants to cleanse the temple and say, hey, you're doing too much. And for the new thing I'm about to bring to victory, you gotta have a clean sweep. You gotta have a clean sweep. I'm about to bring some new vision in, but you gotta release some of the good old days. Are you more loyal to the good old days or more loyal to the new thing God wants to do. Some of us are more married to our past traditions than we are to God's future plans. And God's saying, if I'm gonna do some new things, you gotta let me come in with that whip of cords and I'm not gonna hurt anybody. I'm not gonna hurt you, but I'm just gonna move some stuff. I want you to stand your feet all over this room. Y'all receive this word today? What tables does he need to turn over in your life today? Leading up towards Easter, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your marriage is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your family is a temple. Maybe you've allowed some things to get set up in the temple. I remember talking to a young family with, with young kids and they had allowed soccer to take precedence over Jesus. 
and, and, and they told me this. They said, you know, there was, there was this soccer season and, and all our games were on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so we just stopped going to church for six months. And we told ourselves, well, we'll get back to God when soccer's over. We'll get back to Jesus when soccer season ends because soccer is super important. And they said, we didn't even realize that we had allowed this idol to push out the Sabbath, to push out that, that, that sanctity of honoring God in our week, spending time to listen to his word, to be in that place of worship. I want us to close our eyes all over this place and just focus on what tables God wants to turn over in your life. Maybe you're going through a season of humiliation and maybe God's just saying, this is, this is my work. I'm cleansing your temple of all pride. Maybe you're going through a season where God's wanting to turn some tables over, some habits, some addictions that just need to be driven out of your temple. Maybe you're going through a season right now where God's saying there's so much busyness and I wanna create space for some new things I wanna do, but you're gonna have to push some old piles that have piled up in the temple. Spring cleaning, he's just making room for the new thing, right? He's, he's, he's like coming in and he's saying, we're gonna do a remodel. This is a fixer upper. I gotta change some stuff. We're gonna knock down some walls. We're gonna make some new space in here. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you know God's speaking to you on some things that he wants to turn over, I want you to just raise your hand all over this room from the front to the back. You might be on staff here. You might be a pastor here. You might be following Jesus for 30 years, but you know he's saying, I, I'd like to turn some tables today. I'd like to turn some tables today. Hands going up all over this place. Secondly, you're here and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. If I'm really honest, Jesus is not Lord of my life, but I want him to be. I want to surrender to him. If you're ready to do that right here, right now, just slip your hand up. You're saying, I don't just want eternal security. I want Jesus to invade my life here on earth. I want him to take over. I want to find him as my source, my strength. I need to repent of doing things my way. Yeah, hands going up all over this place. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.